Okay, well, ladies of RCC, this is Brian Robinson coming at you. <laughs> um, yeah, this is my first talk. It was the second talk in the um, scheduling uh, sequence. So this talk is the second talk called uh, The Battle. Um, and I'm just going to kind of go through the outline. I'm not going to give the actual talk. I'm going to go through the the main points and kind of summarize um the talk itself and what the objective was. So first, basically, um, the idea is that we are born into a battle and that most <clears throat> Christians don't realize it or think about the fact that we are in a battle. And not realizing we're in a battle is a, uh, is a huge disadvantage already. Um, I talked about three areas of the battle that we're born into, uh, the flesh, the world, and the devil. Um, under the flesh, I talk about um, how our DNA is basically flawed. It's self-centered. It's idolatrous. We spend years uh, before we come to Christ of accumulating unbiblical thought patterns and um, emotions that we carry until we're converted. And then we spend the rest of our lives trying to unlearn and repent of those things that we've uh, sort of built up in our flesh. Uh, Romans 7 talks about the battle Paul is uh, describing in his flesh that he does the things that he doesn't want to do. So the flesh is the first area of the battle that I discuss. Um, the second area is the world. And the world is basically the cultural patterns and expectations that are given us depending on where we live and depending on our, our family, our city, and those kind of things. And so what it means to be a man or what it means to be a woman um, in our culture is is given to us through media, through the arts, through um, influences in our lives that are greater than just our flesh because they're patterns that we, we see. Um, Romans 12, I use uh, verse 1 and 2 that uh, says, Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you can test and approve what God's will is for your life. In other words, um, we have to actively search out the places that we've believed lies that have been given to us um, about masculinity or femininity from the world and bring those thoughts into uh, subjection to the truth of the word of God and make them obedient to Christ. So that's the second area. Uh, the third area is the devil. Um, so we have the flesh, the world, and the devil. The devil rules over the first two areas, the Bible says, that he is the ruler of the present age, the prince of the air, and he basically, um, he shapes the world systems. He shapes the patterns, the, uh, the events in the many respects that he has been given um, temporary control uh, in this world. And so uh, Paul says um, our battle, Ephesians chapter, uh, I think six is what I use. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, powers uh, of darkness in this present age. And, uh, that just illustrates that that though we don't think about it, uh, we are in a battle against the devil, um, who also is using the world and the flesh to uh, bring us under deception and bondage. Um, the devil is a is a is a being. He was created. He's not all knowing. He's not uh, omnipresent. He's not everywhere at one time. So he he uses um, fallen angels called demons to uh, do his his will to do his bidding. And so none of us have probably encountered the devil himself, you know, Satan himself, but we have encountered demonic principalities that have 
brought temptation into our lives or brought deception into our lives, whatever it may be. And so um, Satan's greatest area of attack is, is our mind. And so if he can get us to believe a lie, he will get us to also feel emotionally the lie, the result of that thought. And so uh, Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a man thinks, so he is. So in other words, if we believe that we are rejected, we will then feel the results of that of that belief. We will then feel depressed or we will then feel rejected if we believe that we're um, greater, greater than we are, then we have pride. And usually Satan uses those two extremes in a Christian's life. He uses accusation to cause the believer to feel um, less than he is. And he, and that, that causes the, the believers to run away from God and not to God. So when I, when I sin, I feel the shame and the condemnation that, that he, um, he would uh, use to bring deception in. And it causes me to feel less than I am, less valuable, less worthy. And it causes me to run away from God. The other extreme is that he causes believers to feel more worthy or more um, important than they are. And that's, that is the sin of pride. So um, the temptation comes in and says, the, tempt- the tempter comes in and says, that's no big deal. You know, it's just, it's, it's just a little sin. There's, there's grace for that. There's no, there's no difference. All, all men or all women do that. It's no big deal. And so on, on either side of the spectrum, there's, um, there's pride. And then there's, um, there's, I, I guess I would say just the other extreme of pride would be, would be, um, rejection or, or, um, yeah, just, yeah, rejection. I can't think of the word. So over time, as we believe those lies, <clears throat> a stronghold develops in our mind. The Bible calls them strongholds. And those things cause us to see reality a certain way. A stronghold is a pattern of thinking that is um, accepted over time into our, into our worldview. Um, so Second Corinthians 4, 4 says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel. And Second Corinthians 10, 3 through 5 says, though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons that we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have de- divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So here, here's an example of a, a stronghold. Um, Three boys are raised in the home of an alcoholic father, and the father is very abusive to the mother emotionally and physically. The oldest boy, um, when dad comes home drunk, he stands up and confronts his dad and and defends his mom. And he he's you know, he's a tough one. He's the eighteen year old or seventeen year old, and he he stands up to dad. And dad, you know, defers and 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 cowers because he's a big he's a big boy. And that's how he deals with his dad. The middle child, when the oldest is not around, the middle child is there and he basically appeases his dad. He's, you know, 13 or 14. And he's, he's, he just says, Oh, you know, dad, what can I, what can I do for you? Can I get you, you know, something to drink or can I help you with this? And he just appeases his dad. He's, he's, he compromises and he, he deals with his dad in that way. And then the third boy is a young, you know, he's eight or nine years old and he's terrified when his dad comes home. He runs and hides under the bed or in the closet and he just cries and cries. Now those three boys have three, three different ways of dealing with conflict that they've learned over the, over the years of being raised in that home. 
and those become strongholds in their lives. So 20 years from now, when they're all married, they all deal with conflict a certain way according to that stronghold. So the oldest boy is now a man, and when him and his wife get into an argument, he never compromises. He stands up to her, he he confronts her, and he's aggressive, and he's whatever, and he never admits that he's wrong. Uh, the middle one never 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 does anything except appease her and just just doesn't want to have the uh, have the fight he just wants to avoid the conflict he appeases her he says you're right i was wrong and what can i do to help you and and whatever whatever he never stands up for himself and then the third can't deal with conflict at all the the young the young boy that's now married he just runs from the conflict he takes it as rejection he takes it as um him not being being good enough or measuring up and so he just just falls apart under it. That Those are strongholds, all caused by the same scenario, having an alcoholic father, but they've all, they've all dealt with it in a different way, so to speak. And so those things have to be dealt with when we, when we come to Christ and examine our lives. Those strongholds, those patterns of thinking that, um, that we have believed incorrectly about ourselves or about, about the world. Um, a story that I kind of related was, uh, which probably wouldn't be, too relevant to share, but I had a friend who had a um, a weed in his backyard that became. He let it grow. Basically, he had this he had this plant that he wanted to see how how big it would get. It was actually a weed, and it became like five feet tall. It looked like a tree, and it, it basically was this huge weed. and And he decided after three or four years of letting it grow in his backyard, he would cut it down. And what happened was when he cut it down the weed had no way of getting nourishment. And what he didn't know was over time, that weed had had spread throughout his entire yard. The runners of that weed were everywhere in his yard. They had gone 50 yards away. And so when he cut down the main weed, all of the runners sprouted up throughout his yard all over the place. And he he could not stop the, the, the yard from being taken over by these these runners. And he had to basically up, uproot his whole yard and, and have it tilled and, and cut up because this, this weed had taken over. And that is what happens, I believe, in a, in a spiritual sense of uh, what, we have, what happens when we develop a stronghold. That thing is there and we don't seem to mind it. And what we don't know is under, under the surface, all the symptoms are beginning to take over. And they come up over time and it they show themselves as uh, feelings and those things could be fear, irrational fear or lust or unforgiveness or um, anger, bitterness. But this, the real issue is there's a stronghold behind all of those, those symptoms that have taken over our yard, so to speak, that we have to deal with. And sometimes the more we, the more we deal with that thing, the more the symptoms will emerge and um, resist the the stronghold from being dealt with. Um, so it was just a good visual example, I think, of, of what a stronghold looks like was this this weed thing. I wanted to mention too, I, I don't think that the goal um, the goal is to get everyone to think correctly. Like like uh, one danger here is that we would think that the objective is just to get all believers to think biblically. 
And that really is not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is to get believers to feel biblically so that the thoughts that we feel, the thoughts that we think would produce correct feelings. And, and that's what we're after. We're, we're after a heart change. We're not after just a mind and, and thinking doctrinally or theologically correct things. We're after hearts being changed. And, and that, that's, that's an objective. I think that has to be, you know, clear that we're not just trying to indoctrinate everybody, indoctrinate everybody to think certain things biblically. Jesus, Jesus said in John eight thirty two that you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And I think that he means your heart will be free. He's not saying that your mind's going to be free. He's saying you are going to feel free. You're going to be free because the truth that you're believing will result in the fruit of freedom in your inner man, inner, inner person. So the first battle that we have to deal with is um, becoming transparent and becoming real with our issues. And so that was done hopefully the first week of this process that the previous talk that Tom gave, you know, revealed how we hide from our past and our, and our, our shameful things that we've done that often cause the strongholds. And so, so the goal is to get people to be real enough to reveal these areas of, of woundedness or sinfulness or shame so that the, the lies that they've been believing because of those things can be exposed. And, uh, and a common, I think, struggle here is that people often think if I can just be honest, then that's all it takes. And, and I don't think that's enough. I don't think honesty is the same thing as freedom. I think honesty, honesty is the pathway to freedom. It's the first step, but it isn't necessarily the, um, the same as being free. So for a lot of men, for example, it was very difficult for them to be real and be honest because of certain shameful things in their lives. For me personally, that was never the issue. I was honest from age 15 with my struggles with my young life leader and other people in my life. Honesty was never the issue, you know, but I never changed because honesty was never enough. And, and there's a misconception that if, if I can just be honest, then I'll be free. But that's, that I think is not necessarily true, but that, but that needs to be, I think, explained as well and, and made clear. So I then talked about the three areas that we often open our open doorways to uh, deception and to woundedness in our lives. And so these three, these three areas were very, you know, um, practical. Um, I talked about traumatic experiences uh, generational patterns and occult involvement. So the stuff that this happened to us are tra- traumatic experiences that uh, could have happened early in childhood. A, you know, a parent dies or gets divorced or there's there's sexual abuse. Um, that these things are these happen to us, and then out of those experiences, we develop a pattern of thinking. So, um, um, so I'm trying to think of an example, but yeah my experience of going into surgery when I was a young boy and I I was left in the hallway for several hours, fear just became so palpable in that experience that afterward I was a different little boy. I was terrified at night. I struggled with fear even to this day. And that experience then was reinforced by the devil who would bring other experiences, other situations or scenarios to reinforce that issue of fear that you can't, you know, trust God or you can't, whatever it may be, whatever the fear may have, um, caused. Um, 
it could be it could be abuse you know a, a girl was sexually abused and then she believes that she's just an object it happens over and over again so she so she believes she's an object and then she gets into high school and then the guy she dates reaffirm that that false belief that she's just an object and all of a sudden that pattern goes on for years and years and she gets married and she can't be faithful or she gets married and she has this you know this the struggle to be to be uh committed or the struggle to be honest about her life um or to be yeah you know, to be um um, faithful to her husband. So the issue is that original event caused her to believe those lies about herself that has to be dealt with and un and unearthed basically and, and be, uh, and be brought to the surface. The second, the second, um, doorway was, uh, generational patterns. So looking at our families and looking at what our parents did and their parents did, you know, everyone's divorced in my family, my grandparents, my uncles, my aunts, divorce was a pattern in my family or alcoholism or these patterns that we have. My dad was angry. My, my grandpa was always angry. My, you know, uncles are angry. They have, you know, unforgiveness issues. Like those things are not just bad, bad habits. They're passed down. They're learned as well as spiritually passed down through generational curses in many respects. So we have to look at our family of origin and look at the things that, that have, uh, that we, we see our struggles in our lives and go, why am I like that? Cause my mom's like that I'm, or my dad's like that. And then consciously bring those things to the surface to, to deal with. And then the last area was, was, uh, involvement with the occult. It's probably the most obvious, uh, or, or serious doorway to deception because, because it basically invites, uh, the enemy in very clearly and very, um, openly. So the occult, the occult just means that which is in secret or that which is hidden. So it could range from simple things like doing the Ouija board to horoscopes to becoming a, a Wiccan or uh, involvement, involvement with the Masons, which it wouldn't be for women, I guess, because there aren't any Masons, but women, but, um, but those things are used. Those practices are used to gain power or to gain secret knowledge or to gain influence. That's why people get involved in the occult because they want to understand their future or, or they want to have power over someone else to influence them or they want to have information that they didn't otherwise know. It replaces the need for God and the Holy Spirit. It, re- it replaces God as being the source of power and control and the spirit, the source of um, conviction in our, in our lives to something else, to something that is dark and so if there are, if there are people in the, in the group that have been involved in the occult in the past, whether it be new age religions or other, other examples of occult, you can just look up, but, but those things are the clearest way, uh, the enemy comes in to bring greater bondage and, and greater deception. So trauma, generational patterns and the occult. So the pattern that we talked about in renovate was, was this once we, once we recognize these areas of, of uh, open doors, the pattern is to reveal them, to repent of them, to renounce them, and then to receive uh, the grace and the healing of, of Jesus. So the four R's basically reveal, repent, renounce, and receive. Um, so in the first week, that was the reveal step. It was basically men were re- revealing their their deepest, darkest things they were shamed about or wounded from. The repentance is the step that I was talking about in the battle that, that we really, we really can't go forward in healing until we're, until we're repentant. So honesty sometimes is not repentance. Honesty made us be being honest. There's many alcoholics in, in, in 12 step programs that are honest every week and they have no desire to change 
two hours later. So honesty is not enough. Repentance is a change of mind. That's what the word means, metanoia. And so it is a change of mind first before it's a change of actions. And so we need to get to get men and women to the place where they they repent of believing incorrectly. So they change their mind about those areas that they've believed incorrectly. They're not rejected or they're not outside of God's laws or they're not whatever it may be. And once they once they reveal the things that, that they're believing incorrectly or doing, they repent. They change their mind about those things. And as they change their mind, then then it's forgiven and it can be it can be broken. So the battle the battle really ends when the person is unwilling to repent. And I know repentance carries a lot of carries a lot of connotations, you know, religious it's a religious word that um is misunderstood, but at at its heart I, I believe that we just need to explain it that it's simply a change of mind before it's told that they have to stop doing this and stop doing that. They simply say, I come out of agreement with lust. And I agree that purity is what God wants for me. And I agree that it's better. I agree that it's, that lust is enslaving me or whatever it may be. And they say, I repent of lust and I come out of agreement with it. So after they repent, then it's, they renounce and it renounce, renouncing is just a, maybe a more strong word, but it's a cutting off. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a breaking agreement with that thing. So I break agreement with lust. I cut the the cord or the chains that this thing has held me under, held me in, and I renounce those that thing. So it's much more, I guess, of a uh, action in a sense, like a like a aggressive or offensive action um, versus repentance. So renouncing is the is the third step, and then the final step I did, I talked about is just receiving. That now we receive. Uh, the grace and the forgiveness and the freedom that Jesus Christ purchased for us. It's all been purchased there. It's all, it's all there anyway. It's, it's right there for us. It's not like we have to do those first three things to, to get it. But, but the Lord, I believe the pattern typically is that, that pattern in scripture. Um, but I, again, I mentioned this too. I said at the end of my talk that this is just a model. It's, it's just, you know, reveal, repent, receive, or whatever, reveal, um, repent, renounce, receive. It's just, a, it's just a model, but God can break into someone's life in his love and in his mercy and change the, the hardest of hearts in a, in a minute. And we're offering them a model, but we have to believe that the spirit is able to do so much more than a simple, you know, uh, model that we offer and, and, um, can quicken a human heart and bring healing from any addiction, any wound in the blink of an eye. And I ended it by saying that because I feel like <clears throat> we're a charismatic church and we want the spirit to, to work and, and come in power and be, and be free to do that. So I just think we need to invite people into that belief that, that it doesn't take 16 weeks to, to get free. It doesn't, it doesn't have to take 16 weeks. It doesn't take all this stuff to get free. This is just a model that we've seen that works but um, the Lord is free to do whatever he wants. And <clears throat> I talked about Luke 18. Um, it's basically the story of the uh, two men in the temple. And uh, the story goes, basically, um, one man is there beating his, beating his chest, beating his breast, and he's saying, forgive me, God, uh, for what I've done. He's, he was a tax collector, and he, and he, he was asking God for mercy while the other man was a Pharisee. And he says, you know, I fast and I pray and I do all those things. And he says, thank, thank you, God, that I'm not like the man, the man over there. And 
the contrast is that both men were there for the same reason, but both had a position of, of attitude of their heart that was completely different. And God longs to heal the brokenhearted and God opposes the proud. And so the man who went home justified before God was a man who was humbling himself uh, and desperate for God's mercy and God's forgiveness. And that's the thing that I think we have to encourage people to get to is to get in contact, to get in touch with their own brokenness and ask the question, do they really want forgiveness? Are they, are they just going through the steps of being honest and being vulnerable, but in their heart, they're still saying, thank God, I'm not, not as bad as that, that person. I'm not really that bad. I don't really need God that much. We want to get people to a place where they realize they are broken, they're empty, they're they're dead without Jesus Christ. And the only only prerequisite to receiving his freedom is the admission of his of of their need. And that's repentance. And uh and that's kind of where um that's kind of where I ended it. So make sure I covered everything. So the goal again is to get them to get folks to realize they're in a battle. And the battle is real, the flesh, the world, the devil. Um, the doors are open that we open up are through traumatic experiences, generational patterns, and occult involvement. And then through repentance, through revealing, repenting, renouncing, and receiving, we begin the process of uh, of walking in freedom from that stuff. And that is all.